there is a good chance right now that your minds are all over the map. Right? I mean, who knows? Who can even guess at all the different things that you people in here right now are dealing with? The, the, the things that might be causing you stress. The things that might be causing you distraction. You know, maybe, maybe this morning already was a pretty hectic morning just you know, getting from there to here. Our, our lives, all of our lives today are um, so filled with, with things that, that cause us stress and that cause us distraction and that, um, and, and that just make life crazy, isn't it? And, and, and really, with the pace of the world, the pace of our lives and all the things out there and in our heads and, and on our hearts and all of that, it's the, very few things cause us to slow down, do they? Very few things cause us to to slow down and very few things can get everyone to stop and pay attention, right? Very few things can get everyone's attention. One of the things, one of the things that get everyone's attention, that gets, that can get everyone's attention uh, is death, right? Um, a, a brush with death causes us to stop uh, doing what we're doing or thinking what we're thinking about and pay attention, doesn't it? And that might be, maybe you had a, a brush with death as, you know, out on the highway, you know, where all, an almost accident could have been very scary. So maybe it's one of those brushes with death or maybe it's a brush with death because someone you love, someone you know is, is maybe facing that soon or just did. So a, a brush with death um, causes us to stop. It causes us to pay attention. It, it causes us to, to um, stop maybe doing what we're doing. A brush with death maybe causes us to change or refocus our priorities, uh, reminding us how important some things are and maybe remind us how unimportant some other things are. Can, can you think of some times in your life that, that your life has been affected by the power of death? in one way or another. The power of death to separate you from a loved one. Now, if, if, it, is, if it is someone who knows Jesus as their Savior and maybe has lived a long and full life, it's usually a little bit easier to deal with death. But, but at other times where, where it's a breadwinner, where it's someone in the prime of their life, it is much more difficult to deal with, isn't it? And, and of all the kinds of death, the hardest by far to deal with is the death of a child. Someone once said it's, it's like placing a period before the end of a sentence. And in some cases, the sentence has hardly even got started. We've lived in this world long enough, we expect the old to die. We, we know that's going to happen. We, we expect that. But, but death is a cruel thief when it when it strikes down the young. Children were made for, for fun and laughter, not pain. And, and when a child dies, the, um, the par part of the parents is buried too. 
Uh, there's a man in his 70s still carrying around a faded photograph of the child who died 50 years earlier. So, so when, a, when a child dies, it, it, it gets our attention, doesn't it? We, we tend to stop what it is we're doing and, and, and pay attention. We, we tend to maybe stop and reevaluate. I think we tend to stop what we're doing and probably, hopefully, be there for the parents. Be there for the parents who are undergoing uh, that tragedy. Now, soon after, if you remember last week's lesson, soon after healing the centurion's servant, Jesus uh, went to, uh, Jesus and his disciples went to a little town 12 miles away uh, with a large crowd of people following him. The town was this scenic little town on a mountainside overlooking a valley. Um, and the name of the town uh, meant Vale of Beauty. But the scene that was taking place at Nain wasn't very beautiful at all. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. Now, dead bodies being ceremonially unclean were not allowed to be buried inside of the city. All right? They had to be carried outside the city to be buried. And they were carried out on a coffin, which was really more of an open stretcher. And the funerals were normally uh, done on the day the person died. So this young man had just died. And, and, I mean, just died that day, and his mom was a widow. The, the death of a widow's only son was, is, was the greatest misfortune conceivable. The, the hopelessness of it, especially in those days, is just hard to imagine. And so there was a large crowd of people with the widow. The, the size of that crowd shows the real sympathy that this town that the people of the town had for her something this tragic causes us causes everyone to to stop and ask how can we help how can we be with you think of uh recently think of newtown connecticut right when when children die life just stops for a while so you have this dramatic scene here you have two large crowds processing toward each other. One has Jesus at its head. The other has a coffin at its head. And the two crowds met right there at the city gate. One would have to go in. One would have to go out. And this, just, this wasn't just an accident. We know that. Now, normally in, the, in those days, it was customary. I think it's almost customary in these days. But in those days, it was customary that if a funeral procession was going by, you would, you would stop, you would, you'd, pull off, you'd step off to the side of the road, and you'd bow your head out of respect for the dead. But not Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't respect death. He stood right in the middle of the road. He stands right in the middle and he's going to do something about this. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. 
It's interesting. Jesus calls him, uh, Jesus call, Luke calls him Jesus everywhere else in this text, but here, Lord. It wasn't just that Jesus had compassion. The Lord had compassion on her. The Lord. Even though he's completely in control of the situation, the Lord had feelings. The Lord who, who gives life was moved by feelings of deep sympathy for this widow. His whole, to have compassion, means your, your whole insides, his whole inner being went out to this poor widow. That's what compassion is. What consolation this single verse has had to thousands of the bereaved over the years. When your life falls apart, the Lord has compassion on you. The Lord, the one who created everything, the one who is in, the one who is in control of everything, has compassion on you. When your life gets turned upside down, you endured a tragedy. You, you, um, you lost a loved one. You lost a spouse, lost a child. The Lord's heart goes out to you, bleeds for you, hurts for you. The Lord has compassion on you. Now the Lord of life confronts death. Don't cry, he says. Now this isn't the deny your pain, buck up camper kind of don't cry. This is the don't cry that means um, that you no longer need tears. And it's being spoken by the one who is about to remove their cause. Jesus is the only one who truly can remove our tears. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. Jesus touched that pallet that the dead boy was lying on to make its bearers and the crowd stop. And also, as if, as if he was saying, um, this is as far as this procession of hopelessness is going to go. All right? This is as far as you're going to go in this direction of hopelessness. Can you imagine, you know, the pallbearers? Hey, mister, this, this coffin isn't getting any lighter. Um, and then, how shocked they must have been when Jesus started talking to the corpse. Get up. And then he gets up. Do you think someone, do you think anyone screamed? I got to imagine that somebody did. What would you have done if you were one of the pallbearers? I mean, what would you have done if you were one of those just standing right there, getting a front row uh, view of this? It must have been. It must have been a crazy situation. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. So what divine power and mercy are mingled together here? The resurrection and the life in human flesh, with a word of command, brings life, gives life back to this dead body of this boy to dry a widow's tears. The, the, the boy didn't just, the boy raised up, the young man got up immediately. It, it, there wasn't, he wasn't moaning and groaning and, you know, recovering slowly. He just got up like that immediately. Um, and then Jesus, just like uh, Elijah did, Jesus gave him back to his mother. What a tender way to put that, right? 
And, and think about it. The, the, the young man had ceased belonging to his mother. He didn't belong to his mother. The young man had already belonged to God. But now God was giving him back. What joy must have been hers. So they were all filled with awe, verses 16 and 17. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. We can never be exactly certain what it was that they believed about Jesus, um, but there's no doubt that they saw the power of God in this. There's no doubt that they saw in Jesus the fulfillment of the promises of the Messiah. God is here. God is helping us. And so what do they do? They worshiped God. They worshiped God, and then they spread the good news of this great thing happening all around the country, even all the way down to Judea, which, is, which was south of here, all the way throughout the country. All right, so I have, I have four observations that we can take home from this text, okay? Number one, sometimes life just seems to fall apart on us. There's no reason. It isn't because of anything you've done. It isn't because of anything you've done wrong. It's not your fault. God isn't punishing you. Sometimes life just falls apart. Sometimes it just happens. Sometimes it just crushes down on us. It isn't a punishment. God doesn't hate you. It's because we live in a sinful world. A sinful world that brings pain and hardship to us. Sometimes it just happens. It's, it, it isn't because you haven't done the right thing or you haven't done enough of the right things. It's because we live in a sinful world. Look at just, just Jesus had just got done healing the centurion's servant. That was last week's sermon, remember? That centurion whose faith Jesus praised, he made this bold, um, very bold request, very courageous, faith, daring faith request. Um, it was very clearly worded. Very, he's very uh, talented, educated, uh, powerful man. And also there's a lot of humility, a lot of faith in that. But on the other hand, you, ha- you have this, this poor widow who is so drowning in sorrow, we don't even know if she even knew who Jesus was. But neither of them, the widow or the centurion, neither of them deserved it or didn't deserve it. Sometimes life just crushes down on us. Sometimes bad things just happen when we live in this sinful world. All right? And it's not because God doesn't love you. And that brings us right into the the second observation. Observation number two is that we have a Lord who shows compassion on us. We have a Lord who has compassion on us. When your life is falling apart on you, I want you to know this. It's not because you haven't done all the right stuff. It isn't because God is punishing you. It's because the Lord, it's an opportunity for the Lord to have compassion on you. When your life, when, when you're hurting, when, when you're in the middle of trouble, when, when something is, is, is crushing you down like this tragic situation, this is an opportunity for the Lord to have compassion on you. When your life is falling apart, the Lord, who is control of the whole universe, 
The Lord who gives life has compassion on you. His heart goes out to you. His, his whole inner being goes out to you. He cries with you. He cries with you and then says, don't cry. Because he's going to give you a reason that you no longer have to cry. Have you ever noticed how Jesus seems to be drawn to broken-hearted people? Lepers, prostitutes, sick, sad, sin-shattered people. And this shouldn't surprise us. Psalm 34, verse 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Jesus seems to have a soft spot for hurting people, for people like you and me. When you are hurting, when you are grieving, when your heart is being crushed down underneath a burden of guilt, Jesus sees your pain. Jesus sees your hurting. And he has compassion on you. His heart goes out to you. Sometimes you get, sometimes you get lost in the crowd and, and you feel as if no one, nobody knows what you're going through or even cares about what you're going through. But just like Jesus saw that poor widow in her pain, and in her hurting, and in her sorrow. Jesus sees you. He sees your hurting. He sees your pain. He has compassion on you. Jesus knows your pain and even shares your pain. In fact, he's closer to you when you're hurting than anybody else is. Somebody once said, sympathy sees and says, I'm sorry. But compassion sees and says, I'll help. That's what Jesus does. He cries with you, but he doesn't just cry with you. He gives you a reason you don't have to cry anymore. He stops that funeral procession of hopelessness right where it is and says that it doesn't have to go any farther. All right? So that's the second thing. Our Lord, we have a Lord who has compassion on us. The third observation is that our Lord is able to conquer even death. He is God, and He has power over death. And that means that He is, able to con- he is going to conquer death for us also. But maybe some of you are sitting here thinking, well, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Jesus has never raised up any of my dead loved ones, man. He's never showed up at any funeral that I've been at and stopped that funeral from taking place. That's never any comfort or uh, thing or love that Jesus has given to me. But let me remind you that that young man from Nain did not escape death. His, His death was merely postponed. See, Jesus promises you another resurrection. His words. For my Father's will, these are from John chapter 6, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Jesus comforted this widow through a temporary resurrection of her dead son. He comforts you and me with the promise of an eternal resurrection, a permanent resurrection for those who believe in him. In all likelihood, 
Jesus isn't going to come up and stop the pallbearers at the next funeral that you are at. And, and, and raise your, your, dead one, your dead loved ones back to life. But he is going to comfort you with the promise that even though their bodies are dead, that they who believe in him are alive and well in his presence and one day you will see them again. He isn't, Jesus isn't going to remove every painful memory for you. But he is going to comfort you with hope for the future. Jesus isn't going to uh, fix everything that's broken here. But he does comfort you with the promise that one day he will make everything right again. He doesn't, he doesn't sugarcoat your disobedience, but he comforts you with forgiveness when you repent. And he won't take away every bit of pain from your body, but he will comfort you by giving you the strength to endure it until one day he comes to take you home where you will never hurt again. By my count, Scripture only records three times that Jesus raised people from the dead. Have you ever wondered why, you know, Jesus didn't visit more funerals? Like, why didn't he go around raising more people from the dead. He could have. Jesus could have visited every cemetery in Israel and raised all of the dead. But that's not why he came here. That's not why he came here. Jesus didn't come to raise the dead, to raise us from the dead, just so that we would die again one day. You see, that, that, that young man from Nain, his resurrection was only temporary. See, one day he, he died again. But you see, Jesus didn't come here to give you and me a temporary reprieve from death so that we would just die an earthly death again 50 years later. Jesus came here to give you and me a permanent reprieve from death. That's three. We have a Lord who conquers even death. And that brings us to the final thing. Number four, he who overcomes death deserves our worship. The one who overcomes death deserves our worship. How did the crowd respond to Jesus raising up that young man? They worshiped God, and then they witnessed the good news of what they had seen. God has come to help his people. As they... As this crowd of people walked out of Nain earlier with their heads hung low in sadness and hopelessness, trying to process the tragedy that just happened to their friend, this widow, um, they were thinking, God is nowhere. If, if there's a God, if there's a loving God, how could he let something happen like this to this, this poor widow who now has no one to take care of her? God is nowhere. But when Jesus came and met the crowd and stopped this procession right in its tracks and gave life, what he did was he put another space in that word which changed everything. And now those people were convinced 
Those people who were thinking that God is nowhere now were convinced that God is now here. God is now here. They saw life from death and one little space uh, in that phrase changed when Jesus brought life into that young boy's life. And that not only brought life, physical life to that boy, that brought spiritual life to one, probably two crowds of people who were thinking God is nowhere, now knowing God is here. God is now here. God is here to help his people. Quite a difference, isn't it? Friends, Jesus is doing the same thing today. We may not see him show up at our funeral, but he's doing the same thing today. There's one crowd today going the direction of the world. And their heads are hung low in, in sadness, in, in guilt, in hopelessness, and they're thinking, they're thinking, God is nowhere. They're, they're living life as if God is nowhere. And then there's another crowd of people following Jesus. And this crowd is filled with life and joy and hope because they know that God is now here. What crowd are you in? What crowd are you in? A, a Muslim from Africa became a Christian. And some of his friends asked him why. And he answered and said, well, it's like this. Suppose you're, you're going down a road and all of a sudden the road splits off into two different directions, but you don't know which way to go. But you meet two men at the fork in the road, one of them dead, one of them alive. Which one are you going to ask to show you the way? The Bible only records one time that Jesus visited the town of Nain. So, when Jesus comes to visit, it's best we pay attention, isn't it? I want to be in his crowd. That is the crowd that I want to live in. The crowd that knows God is here. The crowd that has uh, joy. The crowd that has hope even during the hard situations of life. I want to be in that crowd. I love Jesus. I believe in Him as my Savior and that gives me hope. I know that God is here. I know that God is in my life and I know that He has come to help His people. So when Jesus comes into our lives, bringing His life into our lives, friends, our response needs to be the same as the people from Nain. Worship and witness. We worship God in thanks and then we witness. We've got to tell people about this. I mean, how many of your friends do you want walking around thinking that God is nowhere? How many of your friends do you want having that kind of hopelessness? How many people, even if you don't know them, people, do you want to be walking around with that kind of hopelessness in life? We have this good news. We need to worship Him and we need to witness. God is now here. So friends, let's go and share that news to people who still think that God is nowhere because God is now here. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.